This morning I thought kind of an interesting sermon title. I kind of smile at that. I came up with that myself. Uh, DNA of a butterfly. And uh, you'll find out a little bit more later about why I'm choosing that title. I'll tell you a little bit about my grandsons. I've got seven grandkids, four granddaughters, and three grandsons. And Harrison, Caleb, and Lucas, they're ages 6 to 15. And they're typical boys. And they've been fascinated with a set of small toys over the years that are called transformers. Does that ring a bell? I have to admit, I found them fascinating myself. You know, being a good grandpa, you've got to get down and play with the kids a little bit. So I found them fascinating, but also a bit frustrating. I kind of had trouble making these things transform because that's what they do. They come in the form of small cars or trucks, but not just any car or truck. They're fashioned after those vehicles you see, you know, on monster truck rallies. You may remember these toys, perhaps. They're about five to eight inches long and maybe three to four inches wide, and they fit perfectly in the hands of young boys. Well, that's the shape they were in when they come in their packages. But they held a secret. They could be transformed into something else, hence the name Transformers. And in the hand of a 6 and 10 and a 15-year-old boy, they could be manipulated by twisting around their wheels, pulling out their fenders or doors, and stretching out their chassis. These monster trucks could be transformed into a totally different toy like a huge monster fighty man or a woman. And when transformed, some look to me like the Robert Downey Jr. character in his fighting suit in the movie Iron Man. Maybe if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Other of these toys, they take on a different persona. Maybe a huge bird woman or a big fighting dog, each now standing 10 to 12 inches high with an arm or a wingspan of 10 to 12 inches. Very formidable. Now, I'm quite confident the Apostle Paul wasn't talking about plastic robotic toys when he wrote some great advice to Christians who lived in Rome 2,000 years ago. Here's what he wrote. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, the connection between the story of my grandson's toys and these verses of Scripture, of course, is the word, be transformed. Those monster trucks could be transformed by Harrison, Caleb, and Lucas. And you and I, my friends, are to be transformed as well. But how does that happen? And transformed into what? Well, those transformer toys my grandsons played with were, were just that. They, they were toys inanimated objects. They were made to take on a new shape or character or persona. They had to be manipulated by someone outside of themselves. It was a mechanical transformation. Was that what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, that we need to be changed as persons in our society and our families and all that from the outward in? And the answer, of course, is no. Some people, however, believe if change is to come in our lives, the change, the transformation will have to come from somewhere or someone outside of ourselves. They seem to be waiting for an almost mechanical manipulation that brings about this change, like getting your back adjusted 
by a chiropractor. Some folks are looking for that magical pill to help us with our transformations. Pharmaceutical companies, cosmetic industries, they're making billions of dollars selling us life-transforming products. I mean, every week it seems there's a new book promising to reveal a secret diet or an exercise that will do this or that for us. Our smartphones, the industry, it promises we have an app for that. I mean, even some Christians are waiting for God to manipulate their bodies or minds or even their wills to bring about a new kind of person some of us want to be. Now, one of the techniques that our seminaries, seminaries, they're pastor schools. They teach young men who are studying to become pastors how to be a pastor. And one of those things, and actually a pretty big thing, is how to study the Bible using the original languages and syntax, Hebrew and Greek. Now, I found over the years that when I've spent the time and looked at the original Greek language, which the New Testament of the Bible was primarily written in, I, I tend to have a much deeper understanding of, of what the writer of the Bible books was intending to say. And when I read the words for today, and Paul's telling us to be transformed, I immediately thought of those toys that my grandsons played with, and that gave me such frustration. But then looking at the Greek, I began searching the scriptures and reference works to learn how this transformation thing works in us as human beings, since we're not toys. And I found the answer, guess where? <laughs> in the verse itself. Big surprise. So I started with the word transform. And in Greek, that word transform is actually metamorphosis. Sound familiar? You've heard it, haven't you? And metamorphosis is a noun in the Greek. And it means a process of change. That's what the word means, a process of change. But in this text from Paul this morning, it's used as a verb. A verb is an action word. It's something that you do. Now, the ancient Greek language has a set of verb forms that English does not. We call these the middle voice verbs. You know, when the Greek middle voice verb form is used, which it is in our text today, the subject of the verb is acting upon for its own benefit. Okay, TMI, right? More information than you wanted or needed to know. Sorry about that. Well, let's, let me tell you what I consider perhaps a... I like a better translation, I don't know about better, but a different one that helps me understand what Paul is telling us about ourselves when it says, be transformed. I prefer the translation that is in the middle verse, middle voice, to continue to transform yourself. Continue to transform yourself. It sounds like a process, doesn't it? Now, I found this interesting, so I, I went looking for perhaps a better metaphor than that toy transformer. And one, one uh, to illustrate how our spiritual transformation can occur. And you know, I found one crawling along the leaf of a plant. Springtime. I love being outside. And behold, I saw the lowly caterpillar. They're actually starting to be out already. Amazing. That's that somewhat fuzzy, worm-like thing that we see about, about uh, 
uh, some now, some in a short time. And this little fuzzy creature begins to grow from an egg, and then to a caterpillar, then to a pupa, and then to fully grown, beautiful, adult butterfly. These little things start grubbing around on a plant looking for sustenance earthbound. And then it crawls out onto a limb of a plant. It continues to grow, attaching itself, growing. And it's apparently well in this cocoon that it continues to digest nutrients that it's taken in from the plant, whatever it might be, transforming itself into a beautiful butterfly. Now this, this regal, beautiful, winged critter started out grubbing along by itself on a plant. And it fed itself from the plant formed a cocoon, digested the sustenance of the plant while in that cocoon. And all the while, changing itself into a creature that's no longer earthborn. And it finally emerges, this beautiful new creation designed for the heavens. Well, works for me. I think it's a good working metaphor for how you and I can change into the person God is looking for. Now, I read about some fellow uh, that he came across something, he wrote something, he, he came up with an idea that I, I thought I wish I would have come up with first. He, he thought about designing a t-shirt that would have a caterpillar on the front. And the caption would read, I know you only see a lowly worm. And then on the back, on the back would be a huge orange and black butterfly. And the caption would read, I have the DNA of the monarch of the universe. I love it. I love it. I wish I would have thought of it first. Well, a lot of folks today have a problem with swearing. It's a habit for them. And many admit they don't see it as a problem with swearing. In fact, they don't even consider themselves swearing oftentimes. Just words, they tell me. And they say that when they have been swearing all their life, that it's no big deal. But they also often go on to say that other folks, often friends or family members, people that they love and respect, do have a problem with their swearing. <laughs> One swearer was asked if he had ever tried to control his swearing. He said, yes, but he had concluded it was blank near impossible. I've got the word written there, but I'm not going to say it. For him to control it. Hmm. Well, in that same conversation, friend one asked, do you swear in front of your mother? Friend two, the swear, answered, blank yes. She swears worse than I do. Friend one asked, well, do you swear in front of your grandmother? Friend two responded, oh, no. Oh, no. That would offend her and, and hurt her feelings. I love my grandmother. I never swear around my grandmother. And friend one concluded with what I thought was a great response. He said, then you should hang around your grandmother more often. <laughs> Good advice. Now, there is what is called the influence of proximity principle. I love that. Proximity or the influence of proximity principle. And the idea, the premise is that we take our cues from those folks around us. I'm guessing most of you have noticed this principle in, in many areas of your daily life. It's kind of like this. You hang around raunchy, talking, rowdy people, and you'll probably find yourself thinking and talking raunchy and being rowdy. 
You spend time with people whose language is perhaps cleaner or maybe of a little higher quality, and you'll probably clean up your own talk. The subject you talk about might be a bit more refined nature as well. Might affect your behavior. Hey, you might say, I like my raunchy and rowdy friends. Yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for them as well, I understand. But good luck with that if you're trying to make improvements to your life. When you're trying to clean up your act. Now, I'm not saying that raunchy and rowdy guys and gals can't be quality people. I mean, even raunchy talkers and rowdy folks can be loyal friends and caring people and even people of quality worth associating with. But what about the influence that they're having on you, on your language, on your behavior? And what might you lose by letting go of that raunchiness or rowdy behavior? A friendship? Maybe you could come out from behind obstacles that block you from becoming the person God is calling you to be. Maybe your lack of pushback with those friends is keeping them from becoming who they could be. Remember our caterpillar metaphor? The caterpillar was once just an egg, and then a caterpillar, then a pupa hidden in a cocoon, and all the while feasting on a solitary plant for its sustenance, influenced by that simple plant's sustenance, all the time using that sustenance to transform itself into something new and beautiful. Jesus made a remarkable statement. In John 15, Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He or she who abides in me and I in him or her, he or she bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Hmm. How the caterpillar transforms itself can give us a clue to the process of transformation available to you and to me as we follow Jesus. You know, I guess it's true that you are what you eat. Love that slide. I can relate to the sloppy. Or who you hang with or attach yourself to. Now, for our conversation here, I need to point out the changes that we can experience begin with Jesus. And they're not from a transference of sustenance or substance. It's not an organic change, just as it's not mechanical, as it is in the case of my grandson's transformer toys. It's a personal, spiritual, psychological change. It comes from the inside out. It comes from the choices as we experience a relationship with Jesus. I mean, Jesus proved his character and love for us, didn't he? As he willingly accepted and willingly went to that brutal, murderous cross 2,000 years ago for us. His death instead of ours. That's love in action. And because of his sacrifice, our sins have been forgiven and we have heaven to look forward to. How does that make you feel? I hope pretty good. And of course, the follow-up is, how do you want to respond to that gift of Jesus for you? You see, Jesus can influence us. I like the phrase the kids use. It's perfect, I think, that fits here. When we hang with Jesus, 
when we choose to behave the way he does, our character changes. Someone put it like this. We might have to fake it until we make it, but change can occur. Spiritual growth and change occurs as we study the scriptures, do what they say do, and hang with Christ like believers who also share a close relational proximity to him and are striving to live as he did. That's what it means to attach ourselves to him, to complete the metaphor. So let's wrap things up today. I want to ask you several questions for you to think about, chew on this week. First one is this. Who's influencing you? Because people are. And how do you conduct your life as a result? That's one. Number two, what kind of parties, cookouts, pub crawls do you go to with what kind of people? And thirdly, I want you to describe, you don't have to tell anybody, but for yourself, describe the kinds of books you read, the movies you go to, the TV programs you watch, music you'll listen to. And finally, who seeks you out to hang with? What's your true DNA? Amen.